Hi, beautiful people. My name is Brenda Davies. I'm the creator and host of God is Grey and the writer of On Her Knees, Memoir of a Prayerful Jezebel. And today we are talking to my pastor. You heard that correctly. We are talking to my pastor, Corey Marquez. He is the founder and lead pastor of New Abbey, which is a progressive, inclusive, and affirming church. Corey is passionate about people connecting with a bigger story of God, and you'll hear all about that in this episode. So please do enjoy. Right now, I'm going to say a statement that I never thought I would say again. This is my pastor. Pastor Corey. Hi, Pastor. Nobody calls me Pastor Corey, which is funny. I call you Pastor Corey all the time. Yeah. Actually, more people have been, which I think is fascinating. (laughs) Am I allowed to? Is it okay? Well, I think for the longest time, I didn't like being called Pastor. Because, like, there's all this, like, we're trying to remove in the separation between clergy and laity or you know fancy language like that which I think is a really good thing but I've noticed that for some people it's healing like to call me a pastor like mm. they're reclaiming something about not who I am but what a pastor is and so yeah. long as I'm like no 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 just call me Corey and now I'm like oh I think this is for you in some ways I don't know okay so that's my- interesting so everybody is kind of on their own journey with it because you would you call New Abbey a progressive church? Like, how do you identify the church itself? I say we're a progressive, inclusive, affirming church that usually creates the tent that people know what they're walking into, mm-hmm. what they want or don't want. And so the website doesn't have all that confusing evangelical language of like, we love everybody. Just come on in. You're welcome. And then they flip it on you as soon as you're through the doors. Yeah, there's no secrets. There's no kind of person that you can be where you can't get married or be in leadership. Or I mean, don't be an asshole, but that's pretty like standard stuff. <laughs> well, I want to get into that too, because we can get into it in, in due time, because I think it's interesting to imagine how we differentiate this sort of church with the sort of church that so many of us have come out of and have been so religiously traumatized by. So I would agree that calling you Pastor Corey gives me a sense of pride. It's like, wow, I made it. I'm in a church. Like I made it back to where I started. And I feel, I feel safe there with a, um, with a little bit of a tiptoe. And I know you are the embodiment of something that looks very triggering. You're a like tall, handsome white guy. It's like, can we trust this man? We're not sure. And I, I kind of youth pastor there ever was. And I still look like I'm 24. So it's <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe I actually don't look 24. I just say that because it makes me feel better. But <laughs> people tell me I look like a baby all the time. No, you do look like a young one. And then your co-pastor, you guys are of equal status, is Pastor Britt. Does anyone call her Pastor Britt except for me? Um, I don't don't know. I'm going to interview Pastor Britt as well. She is incredible, queer, married to a woman, hilarious. All of your messages are funny, engaging. And it's been really interesting. So my 
my introduction to all of you was that I ended up coming to New Abbey when you were in a CrossFit gym. And it was the very first reading I ever did for my book on her knees. And it was a really beautiful experience. And it was full of the gays, full of queer people, full of just people that had joy, a light in their eyes. And I was asking around, I think I was talking to Brittany, who's in church. She does like children's ministry too. And um, I was like, what's the deal? Is this place actually safe? Are these people actually good? Like what's happening? There's so many gay people here. And I asked maybe three or four people and just got rave reviews. And I was like, all right, I'm going to give it a try. And I did come a couple of times nervous, cautious, but I, and I still think I exercise that caution because Corey, like you and I have gotten drinks a couple of times or connected. And I've told you openly, like I told Brit, for example, that worship music still freaks me out. Like your music pastor, William Matthews is incredible. And I love him as a person, but a lot of times I will intentionally show up late. I'm not going to lie because I avoid worship because there's something about that sensory experience and hearing those lyrics again that make you feel, make me feel like, wait, I feel like I'm in a safe place, but I'm actually not sure. And I'd also like to clarify the word safe. Like when I'm saying there's safety in this church, what would that mean? to you? What does it mean to you to cultivate a place where people can actually feel like they can take a breath, rest easy, and know that you're going to do your best not to hurt people? Yeah, safe's a a huge word. It's probably the starting word in a series of words that I think make New Abbey something special. Obviously, I'm very biased about that, right? Even when you're talking- I will affirm that. Thank you. Yeah. Even when you asked around and people, you said, had rave reviews. Sometimes I think it's funny. I'm like, when I hear other people talk about us, I'm like, oh man, for sure we sound like a cult. Like this sounds a little too good. (laughs) But I think it does come down to safety because you have a lot of people who have come to New Abbey who have not been safe in other spaces for various reasons. LGBTQ, obviously it all makes sense as to why they weren't safe based on the rhetoric in conservative churches women, people of color, but honestly, just anybody who dealt with evangelical theology, right? Everyone I know had bad views of their body, um, bad views of who they were. There's something wrong with them. They said that they were evil. They were depraved. They, all the just horrible psychological framing for what it means to be human. So reclaiming that is a really big deal for me. And safety is a part of that. And sometimes safety is like being clear, um, like naming those things that we named progressive, inclusive, affirming, that's part of safety, right? So you're not like guessing or trying to like interpret something on a website. You're pretty clear with, you're not pretty clear. You're very clear on who we are. If you look at our Instagram or our website, if you were to ask anybody, no questions asked, right? Um, sometimes safety is also just that you have the freedom to continue to question, doubt, wonder, not know, be angry, be mad. You've already pointed it out, right? I'm a straight white man um, with a Latino last name. And that's a whole nother part of my history of my father whitewashing our history because he wanted to be more white, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But um, that's just a commercial break side note. 
but I, I represent something, like you already said, that for some people doesn't feel safe. So I've learned over seasons of New Abbey as sometimes we have like different population groups, uh, like increase. Like there was a time where we just had a massive influx of the queer community or massive influx of the black community or massive influx of, we've always had like a high level of women in leadership, like, you know, more board members are women than men, things like that. Right. But allowing people just to be mad at me. And I don't take it personally. I know that they need to get it out. Right. So to speak, there's less of that now than there was 10 years ago, so to speak, because I think people just have more resources like you, right? Uh, they've got other great books and podcasts and social media accounts that they can follow that people are kind of doing their own work of healing uh, ahead of the time. But um, all that to say, safety is, is everything uh, in, in who you are, how you show up. You should never expect that somebody's going to say something that's going to damage you or hurt you, manipulate you, oppress you. And we're going to like say some shit freely in our community. That's one of the gifts. We talk about anything and everything, right? So it's, it's kind of like reversing the arrows of what you knew from church before. We're like, you're not allowed to talk about these things. Um, but you can still be expected. You can almost still expect to be traumatized. <laughs> like, you know, someone's going to say something horrible. It's like, that shouldn't be the case. You should be free to talk about everything. You should have a high expectation that it's not okay to say hurtful comments, right? Oppressive comments. So safety. Yes. And I think that while you're talking, I can hear the naysayers of conservative people being like, oh, safe spaces, like a liberal safe space where sin goes and sinners can just like live freely and do whatever they want. I'm really genuinely curious to hear from you what accountability looks like in a space like this. For example, even me showing up every freaking week late because I'm avoiding the worship, even subconsciously, like sometimes I'll be like, I'm going on time. And then I still roll in late. And I'm like, there's, there's a block here. And I finally confessed that to Brit, but, um, you know, accountability in those former spaces and evangelicalism was about timeliness, making sure you're tithing, making sure you're preserving your body, aka not being penetrated by a penis at any time, unless you're married. It was a really high focus on like, these are the 25 rules of what it means to be a quote, good Christian. And they're all based on these very like tangible, knowable things. Like, are you having sex out of marriage or not? Are you showing up on time or not? Are you tithing or not? So what does accountability look like? And we talk about, if we talk about safety, can you clarify, we're not talking about babying people and men creating a safe space where anything goes. That's a huge argument that I have with people all the time on this channel. People think because I'm questioning or because I live my life in certain ways that not everyone agrees with that therefore it's just a, a free for all of whatever you want to do. So all of that said, like, what does accountability look like? What, what does that say? Like, how is it different than a safe space that just like allows people to do whatever? Yeah, man, this is, this question's loaded in all of the really good ways because I feel like <laughs> 17 different things to redefine and reclaim and rename mm -hmm. to answering that. Well, um, so I'll just start with some of them and we'll kind of roll into things. But for me, I mean, we're a, a Jesus community. 
I'm never shy about saying that. That's highly inclusive for me. Um, I don't believe in some Jesus that's sending people to hell, or if you don't, you know, say a certain prayer, you're not making it to heaven one day. I believe that Jesus is a way of life. Um, and I'm still like, want a relationship with Jesus, right? Uh, that means something to me. So I, I often say like, we want this universal Christ that can hold all things and handle all the complexities. And yet we still want something personal. Uh, and if you name it something else, great. I'm not particularly worried about that. I just can't unwire the hardwiring of that um, within me that doesn't limit it to something else, right? Mm. But I think starting there allows me to speak into things that I think are still useful. I still find scripture useful. I still find Christian tradition useful. Um, just like I find useful the fact that we live in 2022 and just have access to so much good information now. We have Brene Brown, like praise God, you know, we have good podcasts and books in psychology and so many other disciplines that we can look to that help us interpret scripture and tradition, which is all that we've ever been doing, right? We just have better tools now, I think, than before to do it. Um, and the reason I bring that up with accountability is I, one time someone asked me like, Corey, are you ever afraid of new Abbey that you're going to go too far? Mm. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, slippery slope conversation. And I said, no, because I've never opened a door that when I opened it, somebody wasn't already in the room. And what I mean by that is you open a door about like 10 years ago, everyone was like, you know, help me walk through understanding is hell real or not. And what do I do with that? No one asked me that anymore. Right. But they really, no one cares. But there was a time where I was like the biggest thing I'm sure it was like off of, you know, the back of love wins and all that kind of stuff. But when you open that door, when Rob Bell opened that door, he was like, oh, my God, the, the Celts in the third century were already talking about this or so and so in the 11th century or, with, you know, there's so many different pieces of history and heritage and tradition that we can look to. And so everything that we're talking about um, when we're trying to make the tent bigger, people have already been there. Right. And that's comforting for me. We're not just making shit up as we go. Um, there's a vast human experience to pull from out there. And there's a pragmatic, hopefully, way of life. Um, for when I talk about scripture, the things that I see in it are we honor the image of God and other human beings. Right. We love God, meaning we have a, a, a broad, larger perspective of the universe in reality that is sacred and good and beautiful and filled with wonder. Um, we love neighbor, like we're, we're going to work hard to love other human beings, even though when they don't politically agree with us, look like us, feel like us, experience life like us. That's really hard. And we do that because we learn to love ourselves, right? And loving ourselves is, is a lot of work. So when it comes to accountability with those things, I think it's way harder to hold all of that complexity than it is just to simply make up 25 rules or whatever the rules are, right? We all know that like the ones that we were told in youth group of like don't have sex and there was a couple like real big ones and like definitely don't be gay. Like that's the worst of the worst, right? Or whatever yeah. that was. Yeah. Um, and now as we just have better information in a broader human experience because of technology and a lot of other things going on in the world, I think accountability is healthy people taking all of that information in and beginning to decide for themselves what is healthy. But as you learn to love yourself well, then you'll also begin to decide, is this healthy for the people that I'm interacting with? 
Mm-hmm. And that's a big step of growth for a lot of people, right? So we can really put this specifically, like sex is an easier one for this, right? Um, I'm not here to make the rule of like, you can't have sex here, you can have sex here. It's more of you grow as a human being to be thoughtful about the fact that you're made in the image of God and the person that you're engaging with is made in the image of God. And you talked about this so much, right? I've borrowed a lot of this language from you. You really helped clarify some things. That's hard work. Um, and as long as you're like living by that, I think that's the thing that's, that's honoring God um, and honoring yourself and honoring humanity, which you're kind of, in my mind, that's the thing you're hoping to do. You're hoping yeah. to hold hold those realities together. Um, and one last thing that I'll add around like accountability is I think we just need to redefine words like sin. Sin is a really helpful word. So I think words like repent are super helpful. They're not helpful in an evangelical context because sin is usually something that's associated with some magical beings and a magical garden and a magical snake. And because of the choices that they made, we are now affected for the rest of history. That is not... Uh, orthodox or broad view of Christianity as a whole. That's a very evangelical current reality, how we understand that, right? Um, And so taking that away, sin is, the simplest way I think about it is just hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. Just hurt, right? And we would all understand that. We've all been there. Someone hurts us and we don't have the appropriate tools to care for ourselves. So we cope and we hurt somebody back. It's not wild. I think that's sin. I think when Jesus would come and tell people sin no more, right, in all of these conversations where he heals them, the first thing that Jesus is doing is he's making them feel safe, right? The, the woman at the well, he names all these things about what's going on in her life, sees her as a human being, and at the very end says, like, go and sin no more. But it's really this idea of you're seen now, you're known now, you're loved now. What would it look like that you don't have to go cope in hurt, Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is an invitation for all of us. Just how do we better care for ourselves? Because at the end of the day, the most evolutionary thing that we're all doing is just trying to keep ourselves safe. And when we don't feel safe, we fight, flight, or freeze. That's just what we do, right? Um, now I'm going off on a bunch of other topics, but they all fit together for me. And I think that's accountability, right? It's not as simple as like when I was in you know, Christian college and it was just like, all right, we're going to have a secret calendar in our dorm room with the dudes. And every time you masturbate, you got to like put a little check mark on the calendar. <laughs> that must've been full. Of- looked like a zebra. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Like, it's not accountability. First of all, you're just making up arbitrary rules and repressing yourself because you <laughs> orgasm is somehow bad. But that's not accountability. Accountability is me saying, Brenda, I care for you, right? You're a wonderful human being. I care for your child. I care for who you are in our community. I want to make sure that you feel healthy and that the choices that you're making are impacting and creating health in our world, right? And that you're going to care about that even in a deeper way now, because I believe you have a child. So you see the product of hurt people, hurting people, even in a broader context. I think when we have kids, when we care, when we fall in love with other human beings, right? It only increases our ability to desire accountability. Um, I don't want to be a prick, right? Yeah. I want to be somebody who's whole and healthy and healed, um, not limited or repressed either, right? But I'm making thoughtful decisions because I don't want to put more hurt in the world. Um, I want to put more healing and health and goodness in the world. 
Yeah. You've got me thinking about so many things and you and I are completely aligned on everything you just said. You're echoing so many sentiments that have come to me over the years. And one of the things I'm thinking about as you're talking is like, we have, we have the new Abbey community, which I love, and I'm just getting to know. And I first noticed that when I was leaving evangelicalism, cause I went to like all the hip flashy churches in LA. Um, so these aren't like little hodunk places. <laughs> these are metropolitan LA churches. And when I started separating myself from them really because they started getting super political. And I was like, where is the separation of church and state or more importantly, even like spirit and politics. Like I want to feel like my spirit is safe here, regardless of how I'm voting. So that's a whole other thing that strangely enough is the thing that pushed me away. But I heard all of these lies about how people of the world, quote unquote, meaning just anyone who doesn't participate in evangelicalism doesn't have a moral compass. And how can you have a moral compass without the Bible and without the guidance of pastor so-and-so? And I found that in my friend group, like my chosen family in LA, that I had so much natural, organic accountability that I needed and that I wanted and that I deserved that helped me grow exponentially as a person. And it happened. So, like I said, organically, like you just mess up, you do something that I didn't even know was wrong. Cause I was raised a certain way or I'm reacting out of some sort of trauma and having one of those people come up to me and be like, Hey, you hurt me or you hurt so-and-so. Those were my first understandings of like, Oh, that's accountability. Accountability isn't did you sleep with someone last night? It's, it's addressing hurt. And that goes to like what I began reads were properly to me, defining sin as anything that causes hurt. You're hurting yourself, your environment, your, the people around you. And this also goes back to Jesus and his greatest commandment. When they were demanding what's the most important thing, Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And I thought so much about how that's like a trifecta of love. And you're not always going to be killing all three at the same time. Sometimes you might hate yourself or deplore something about you, but you can love God and you can keep on loving people and not hurting them. Or you can have a rough time with people and just be loving God and yourself. And again, like focusing on not causing harm. And the fact that Jesus prioritized the health of all three, your spiritual relationship, your interpersonal relationships, and your relationship with yourself blows out of the water. All these conservative, all the conservative nonsense about like, it's antichrist to love yourself or self-care is somehow wrong. Like we're so good at suffering, but yes, everything you just said in your community I completely see that, that accountability and health and safety is all about, are we not hurting each other? Are we not hurting ourselves? And with that in mind, like, have you had moments where you've called someone out or you've, you've had that accountability and does accountability require consent? Like if I was like rolling up, like <laughs> super fucked up every Sunday and you thought I was like falling off a wagon or something, is that something you address? Like, how do you handle it in real time with the community? Yeah, so many good things there, right? And, it, <laughs> and I love that it just leads down like seven to go out the rabbit holes. Uh, go into the all them, all the rabbit holes. Well, one of the things you were saying just about like going to different LA churches, and this is true of a lot of churches, even 
you know, they look sexier or more modern or more contemporary, but sometimes they're just still Southern Baptist churches with skinny jeans on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't say that cynically or to demean them. What I mean by that is there's a theology there and a way of thinking. And some of that way of thinking is there's a pastor who has authority over you, right? Or there's scriptures that you look to and you like limit yourself Um, There's all these weird exercises in where authority is at. But what I believe about Jesus, about scripture, about tradition, um, is that God is not trying to get you to know more about the Bible. The Bible is a tool for you to better understand yourself and the world and God, right? These things should be empowering you to trust your own internal authority. So anytime you go somewhere and they're requiring you to trust more in that external authority, I think that's where it becomes really unhealthy, And there's a power dynamic that takes place there. I mean, even within our own tradition, there's a reason that Jesus is like, I got to get out of here because like you're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no greater way of saying the authority is within you, right? And it's cultivating the fact that you're the temple of God. That's like old school language, but we all get it now. We're saying like the divine spark is already within each of us. And it's for us to cultivate that, right? The first thousand years of the church was theosis which is just this idea that we're all made in the image of god and we just grow in the likeness of god that was the process of discipleship it's not that crazy and jesus shows us that right um and there's really healthy natural accountability that comes out of that again the more that i honestly and genuinely see myself as made in the divine image then i'm going to see other people on that way i'm just going to make better and healthier decisions right um now those better and healthier decisions that probably looks a lot different than how we named it when we were 16, you know, trapped in evangelicalism. Um, you're be free, like, like enjoy the world a little bit, right? This is like the argument in Galatians, if anyone even still reads the Bible that way, right? Or these other books, Paul's like, hey, you know, or, or Corinthians, it's like, yeah, I get it. Like, there's, they don't want you to eat certain foods or, or do certain things, but like everything's permissible, but you got to decide in maturity, is it still good for you? Right. Um, so the tent is wide open and you got to go make healthy decisions based on all of the other contextual pieces around you. Um, and that takes a lot of maturity to, to do that. Um, so to answer your question a little bit more specifically about like, how, how is that, that work for me? Again, it's going to come down to like safety and trust and really knowing somebody if you're going to have that opportunity to speak into their life or for them to speak into your life. So I don't believe just because I'm a pastor that I have the ability to say whatever shit I want to any human being that I want. It's probably not appropriate, right? Um, it's probably not appropriate because it's not appropriate. <laughs> yeah. I remember being in college and a professor saying to us one time, because like, it's so interesting that in churches, you have all these people who become the most successful people in their very particular area of life. But then they come into church and they turn all of that off and just submit to this person up here because they know more about the Bible, not because they're healthier or more mature or more transformed simply because they orate well and know something about the Bible that you don't. That's just, a, that's such a weird place to give up your authority, right? That's such a weird reason to submit to something, especially in the world of accountability that evangelicalism has created where that really just means secrecy lack of vulnerability and hiding things. Yes. And we see all of these pastors right now who are going through all of these scandals, not because they're horrible, evil people. I don't think that's true of the vast majority of human beings, right? They're humans just like us 
who are not given appropriate tools to care for themselves. And so they're coping. And they're coping by secretly acting out because they actually can't have accountability because the very structure that they're propagating doesn't allow them to become whole. It forces them into more hiding. And everything I believe about God and Jesus is more light, right? And when you expose things, that doesn't mean you're evil or bad. It just means that you're a human being trying to figure it out. But they're not given the freedom to do that, right? And then they put that on everyone else, but it doesn't give us the freedom to figure out what we need to do. So to come back full circle, the thing that I've found a lot of times as a pastor in an environment like New Abbey is less that, unless I have a really good relationship, I'll speak into someone's life. Like if I knew you well enough and you told me, let's just make something up. Like I'm an alcoholic and I saw you drinking. I would be like, Oh, you've told me that this is an area that's not healthy for you. Like Brenda, what's, you know, what's going on here. I'd care for you because you're somebody I care for. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wouldn't, put myself on somebody if I didn't have better knowledge of where they're at or what they need. But I have dress was too short. Would you send your wife over to chastise me? <laughs> um, it's odd that that's a reality. And right. I know that it's super crazy. There's so many um, things where you're like, yeah, I think that we all can just say there's like a reasonable bell curve and there's a lot of crazy shit that we would never accept in the rest of society. But for whatever reason, in conservative evangelical churches, we've somehow assumed that that's okay. It's not. So I don't even spend time trying to argue that stuff anymore or like fight back on people. I'm like, we just know it's pretty reasonable. That's crazy. Nobody should say that to you. It's <laughs> great. Yeah, there's all kinds of things. I don't need to get into it. But on the progressive side of things in a community like ours, sometimes what I'll notice is people want me to co-sign their decisions. <laughs> that I don't always agree to, right? They tell me something because what they're looking for still is permission right? They're, they've left a world where they don't want a pastor to have that kind of authority over them. And they're so mad about it. And yet still, they secretly want the permission of the pastor to say that what they're doing is okay. Mm. And personally, I'm not okay with it. It's not a choice that I would make for my life, but I'm not here to tell them that it's the wrong choice for their life, but I'm also not here to co-sign their decisions. Right. And people have been mad at me for that. Like, well, why, why aren't you like telling me that this is okay that I did that? I'm like, I'm not telling you that it's not okay, but I'm not, I just want to make that decision, you know? And sometimes it's because I knew more about them, right? I knew who they were and what they were going through and their dynamics and things like that. So I'm like, don't put me in a bad position where I have to lie. To, I, I wouldn't lie to you, right? Um, but I'm not here to co-sign everybody's bullshit either. That's not appropriate. That's not real mutuality, you know? Right. And I, that's part of the struggle right now with the fundamentalism of liberalism at the moment. Um, There's certain people who get to make the choices of what's allowed and not allowed. And if you don't agree with that, well, then now you're bad, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the exact same thing that was happening in conservative fundamentalism over here. Um, there becomes a few authority talking points who get to tell you what's right or wrong, but instead of sending you to hell now, they cancel you. It's the same thing. And I know mm-hmm. you know this. Um, I know a little bit about this. Yeah. (laughs) So I just don't, for me, I just don't play the game. I don't think it's helpful. Um, And most of the time, not playing the game has actually led to healthier relationships. Right. Yeah. Uh, There've been some, a few examples where people were just really angry and didn't, you know, want to participate anymore. That's, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, it sounds more just like a, a friendship or any loving relationship, any love based relationship you're going to have 
an organic accountability, or you're also going to intuit if someone's ready to hear something or not. You know, like there are times where I've watched friends walk into a fire, but like you can tell if they're not ready to hear something and you're just like, well, now my role is to be standing there for them to either get my hand in there to pull them out of it later when they're ready or to be standing there when they're all charred up and we address it together versus any kind of authority over their lives. It doesn't work that way in real life. And it it's beautiful that you're creating a space in a church that's mirroring the best kind of organic love that we know in the world. Reaching a personal goal of being healthy, mind, body, and soul is no easy feat. The therapists at BetterHelp can empower you to face anxiety, fear, insecurity, depression, relationship woes, trauma, you name it. If you're facing a dilemma, large or small, BetterHelp can help. If you're a bit wary of therapy, BetterHelp is an excellent option because you can customize the experience to you. You can choose between text if you don't want to be seen, phone or video calls, and the therapists are matched to your personal needs. BetterHelp is more affordable than in-person therapy, and you'll be matched with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is all about. And as a special offer, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash godisgray. That's betterhelp.com slash godisgray. Thank you again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast episode. Yeah, so I think it's interesting. (laughs) People having a hard time knowing where to place you like because we are used to having our pastors in the hierarchy like up here standing there on a podium above us with a great amount of authority in our lives to the point that we are literally told if they say something that makes our skin crawl that makes our spirit scream or makes people want to kill themselves even that we are just supposed to deny all of those intuitive feelings and just keep powering through and accept their words as synonymous with God's words. So it is a massive shift to have someone who I was saying earlier has the same sort of aesthetic um, and yet is an equal to us. And I know at New Abbey, you create that equality also by calling it a conversation and you have a conversation before you get on platform to speak. And then we have a conversation after people are able to raise their hands and, and speak about whatever they want. And there's so much, um, discovery in that place and so much knowing of one another. And I've, I've found it interesting to see kind of like, if worship is something that I still have a really hard time with, cause I'm still trying to unfurl those traumas that are just seared into my memory through this like very particular medium of song. I think it's like a sensory thing. It has a lot of things. Maybe I have to sort of really get out of my system there. But then I see other people who are reveling in that moment and are just like, Oh, this is where I'm connecting. For me, the messages are where I'm really connecting because I see the, the discovery that you have inside of it. I see how you're reimagining Bible stories that 
include the context and the history of the Bible versus one line usually being plucked out of an entire chapter. And then someone being like, the heart is deceitful above all things, for example. That means don't ever listen to yourself or your intuition. Like, no, at New Abbey, you are giving the context. You seem like you love history and the theology of the Bible and all of its different forms. So the next question I want to pose is like, if someone is walking into New Abbey, how can they expect to find sacredness again? Because that seems to be the through line. And you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the majority of people are there to look for community, to look for affirmation that, yes, we were hurt, or yes, I am okay, even though I'm gay. But then also, but how do we still find what we were originally walking through those doors to look for before we ever got hurt? Yep. I mean, you said it really well there, and there's such popular language going on at the moment anyways, right, of deconstruction and reconstruction. And I feel like there was a season where the majority of what people wanted to talk about was deconstruction. I think because people just hadn't, hadn't been given permission before to do that. Mm. So they needed to uncover and unwind and deal with all of that because there was a lot of repression there, right? And so that's been good. And yet I see more now people wanted to do talk about reconstruction. They want to rebuild something, right? They want to go to church, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's not they just want faith and spirituality or relationship with Jesus, whatever their specific thing is there. They want the church component of that. And I'm a big believer in church. Again, obviously I'm biased. I started a church. Um, I'm a pastor of a church. I just think that Church is really unique in the sense of where do you get spiritual development, like emotional, mental support, child care, community, all these layers of things that I think you can get in individual places in society. You can go to the YMCA and you can have a therapist and you can have a spiritual director and you can get a nan, you know, but like that you put all these things together and it's intergenerational. And, you know, this new Abbey is like wildly diverse So it's actually really beautiful for just how you see other human beings. Um, So I believe all of that is really special and still needed in the world. And I don't want to throw that out um, because we were so hurt over here. So what I hope going back even to the safety thing is that the standard becomes, oh, of course I'm safe here. It's a church. The standard becomes, oh, of course I'm going to participate in healing here because this is good news about Jesus, right? It becomes, this should be the lowest common denominator because it's a really high bar, obviously, right? And then there's some particularities of mediums that you might enjoy just because of how you grew up that still resonate with you. Um, And that's, I think, a really good thing. And through whatever the mediums are, that is what creates legacy and tradition. And as parents, that's what I want. I want my kids to be a part of a faith community and have a robust view of God and their humanity, because I think that's the best way to be human. Um, And we are creating a new liturgy for them, right? We're creating a different form of accountability for them. Like I love thinking about our kids, you know, 
one of the things is like when kids are younger, structure is good. There's nothing wrong with creating really healthy structures for them to thrive in. And we don't need to put all of our like progressive angst on our kids, right? <laughs> they don't need it. And that's the thing that's, I, it's, I get it. Why? But like, just let kids be kids. They don't need to debate all these other things, right? They're just going to learn naturally by being a part of a healthy community. They're going to see other adults just encountering God in themselves in a different way. And that's what they're going to follow. That's what they're going to model. So we saw for us secrecy being modeled or right. I would grow up as a kid and my family would be cussing themselves out saying, fuck you, all this. And then, you know, you close the door, you get into church and it's just hand in the air. Thank you, Jesus. Close the door back into the car after church. And it's fuck you. Let's go to Costco. It's just like, <laughs> what? You know, have so, you seen those TikToks of like boys like worshiping with their hand up and being like my mom in church after she just beat my ass in the parking lot? That's all. <laughs> we all have a version of that that yeah. modeled for us was not transparency or vulnerability. It was almost there's be it's the word for hypocrite, right? Wear a mask. Be two different people. Yeah. And one thing is, no, I want you to be really integrated, right? And a, and a healthy human being. And hopefully spaces like church allow you to be the most integrated. Um, hopefully this is the place where you can most lose your shit and shine. Mm. And that's a gift that when you put a bunch of people in a room together like that and you make a conversation versus look forward and listen to the guy tell you more information, um, what we're modeling even for our kids and for everyone in the room is, Oh, God's speaking through all of us, not just me because I have an MDiv and paid way too much money for a degree that's really worthless in the rest of the world. <laughs> no, um, I mean, I, I, I value these things, obviously. And I want <laughs> to be yeah. a good pastor and I, I want to be a good, healthy human being, but I don't want to be on a pedestal because I need to be your new authority. Um, I want to empower people to trust the authority that God has in them. Right. Or the God. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? there. All, all my words, but I put a lot out there. I brought kids into it. Cause that's such a big part of all of this for me. Yeah. It's because it just makes it so much more tangible. We're not debating ideologies that is endless. There's so much comment section on the internet for that. And there's no winners. I just want to rebuild the thing that I actually want my kids to be a part of. Like, I can't wait for my adolescent children one day to be like, oh my gosh, like they created this really beautiful, healthy, diverse structure for me to understand God and myself. And when I became a teenager and I found out I'm like horny and like have all these feelings going on, don't know what to make of myself. There was all these adults there who were just honest with me and allowed me to explore and understand myself and question and doubt and wonder. And we have just killed adolescents and young adults like that in the church, right? We told them that's doubt, that's wrong. These are the ways you can't do it. Live in secrecy and shame. And we've tortured kids instead of like, oh my God, of course you're feeling that way. You got like testosterone or estrogen just like pumping through your veins. And now more than ever, you need healthy transformed adults who aren't just like throwing all of their angst on you, but have worked through some of their shit so that you can live into a more beautiful and bigger world. Now that like, that's inspiring for me. And what do I want to invest the rest of my life into? Not debating with conservatives about whatever. Yeah. yeah, I mean, totally. I've been transparent on this channel that this is a season two because I now see the season one as my deconstruction journey. And it's still valid to talk about those things sometimes because unfortunately, 
the pieces of church that are toxic are still alive and at work and, um, you know, being very aggressive towards churches like yours. And I think that though everything you said about reconstruction is so resonant and not putting that on our children because they weren't even here to be yelling and fighting about this anyway. So (laughs) why, why let them know maybe later, but while you're talking, I was just noticing in my body that I'm just still so, I know you, I know the church, and yet it sounds too good to be true. I'm like, how can a, muti- can, a, can a community actually run like that? How can a group of adolescents actually feel safe in their prepubescence and adolescence in a youth group that's not going to hurt them? And yet I see all of the signs in you and what you speak about and preach on because for example, just allowing people to doubt, to ask questions and to understand the God authority in their own selves. All of those three things are crucial because we have taken away that agency and that intellect and especially any education about scientifically what's going on with your body. Like you're pointing out, like not, I describe it in my book, my adolescence as a tree growing through cement because my sexuality and my drive in that area was so powerful. And they just kept trying to cement it over and be like, no, no, that's not happening. Versus like you're saying, empowering the youth and being like, uh, yeah, I remember that's how it feels. Like it's crazy. Let's talk about it. Let's educate you. So the fact that you have that spirit about you, it sounds like there's potential to have a community like that or that you possibly do. I mean, I hope that you do. I feel like there's always so many new parishioners all the time. It must be like growing and changing. Parishioners. That's so (laughs) great. That's so good. (laughs) What do you call it? Just people, humans, humans coming on through. Yeah. That's funny. I'm liking all the old school language for you because it is healing. But all of that said, like, what other notes of of doctrine or principle do you think are actually going to allow New Abbey, no matter what new people come in, no matter what the volume, maintain this level of genuine accountability, real non-judgmental human community, and a place where your children are safe? Like when you were talking about child's ministry, for example, I was... I already had known that if Valentine was, I don't know, five or something, and he couldn't sit on my lap, I wouldn't put him in the nursery school, even at New Abbey or whatever you call it, the Sunday school, because there's so much fear. I'm like, well, now I can intuit in my body when someone's telling me something wrong. He doesn't have those skills. I'm not going to throw him in there. All of that said, like, what is it in you? And your doctrine and your theology that you're like, we're going to be able to carry this through no matter how big we get, no matter what changes in this community. I mean, there's just some like compasses within me that I keep fighting for. Right. And that the beautiful thing now is that I'm not the only one fighting for it. Now it's like a community of people that are trying to live and breathe this thing and not scared to name it. Like we're not scared to name that we're a church or a Jesus community. I think there was a time that we were, you know, we were were like, well, you know, my church, we don't mean that church, you know, and just 
like everything liberal, you have to like say it and then offer like 17 subtitles. Like, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah. you know, 100%. also yeah. it's worth noting that this church was not born a year ago. How long has it been going? It'd be 10 years in January. Yeah. So yeah. you're not talking from nothing. You, you have, you've walked it. Yeah. And so there's all kinds of things, right? One is just like, you know, a Hollywood phrase of show me, don't tell me, um, model health. Health is vulnerability. Health is rigorous honesty. I spent years in 12-step rooms as a sex addict, as somebody who was unfaithful, who had worked through his own shit, who, you know, hurt the person that he loves. Like, you do all that. And in those rooms, I learned something that I didn't see in the world of church, which is, like, real rigorous honesty. I'm like, oh, why can't the church do this? Why would, why would we want to live in more secrecy? And so I would just begin to share stuff right in church, uh, as the pastor. And that was huge. It was freeing to be able to do that and to model that. And then, and you know, now 10 years later, anybody can share anything at New Abbey and they do. It's <laughs> wild. This isn't like private conversations for like people who don't come to New Abbey. We have a conversation before and after the sermon. And then after that post uh, conversation, then anyone can stand up and basically share something and people share it the most beautiful, crazy, wild, diverse spectrum of things. And I think that's wonderful. No one's like, you know, filtering first. Like, what are you going to say? Like, or we're not allowed to say that here. Um, it was like the guy going on a gay boat cruise <laughs> that sounded pretty sexual. <laughs> yes. And he knew that was free to share it and was also free enough that we could like joke about it. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, you're going on a, Croatian cruise with 35 other gay men. Are you doing a Bible study there? Like, you know, it's, why should he have to go hide that? Um, he's learning sacredness for his life, right? In his, in his own way. And we get to be a part of that because the truth is we're going to do all the things we want to do anyways. We're just going to hide it now. And so the sooner that we can just be real uh, about the things that we actually want, um, whether they're healthy or unhealthy, the better we find, um, I think, healing and transformation and maturity, because um, you like, put it out in the world. Yeah, the permission you you are giving as a pastor, like when you said he's going to go find his sacredness, like I talk in the ends of my book about how I realized how desperately I needed to get back to sexual integrity and embodiment, dancing at Berghain, the sex club in Berlin, and the recognition that sacredness can come approach you in the most divine way and really heal pieces of yourself in the most unexpected places. The permission that you like give other people to say that, and then it gives permission to recognize it in life. Like, I mean, I remember being in evangelical church and feeling like I wasn't even allowed to worship in a forest because that was pagan or something. And now I'm like, you wouldn't even let us take sacredness outside of these four walls that are, by the way, at a shitty strip mall in New Jersey or something like sacredness is everywhere and anywhere that you look for it. And I just love that. I just had to commend you for that. And also the permission to not explore that sacredness with pain, fear, and shame. It's like, you can <laughs> pay to be using this guy is just such a good example, but like 
you know, whether he's looking for love or looking for sexual experiences, whatever, going in with that sacred sort of notion of like, I am this person, I am in, in Christ consciousness, this is valuable to me. And then searching that space without fear of hell, without the shame of his sexuality, and without just like the pain of past experiences or what might be waiting for him on the other side, because he has a community on the other side, whether he finds true love or whatever. And again, hate to be using this person, but it's just such a good example. It just reminds me of the Berghain sex dungeon club, where it was like, I'm here without pain, fear, and shame because I gave myself permission by separating from church. But what a beautiful world in which we actually have a spiritual community holding us while we're going into these experiences and how much healthier those experiences will be without the baggage of those, those toxic vampiric sort of feelings all over us. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, historically the church has been scared that you find spiritual experiences or sacredness outside those walls, probably because there's a, you know, a control there. There's a worry about authority, all these other things that we've already talked about. And for me, it's kind of the opposite now of, I don't assume that the only place you're going to connect with God is at New Abbey. That's weird to think that, you know, Mm. I hope that we help you remember well sacredness and goodness and who God is and who you are. That's what any faith community should be doing. It's just remembering and reminding. It's why we tell the stories of Exodus again or the gospels, right? We're remembering together this tradition that we're a part of and that we're creating in our own time, right? And in our own way. And that's, exactly i think the hope of scriptures and god and tradition um yeah so i hope i think new abbey is doing that for people it's giving people permission to find god in a lot of god forsaken places so to speak because i think that's actually where it happens right i think that's the way of the bible god constantly shows up in god forsaken places it's like the entire story of jesus god shows up all the places that god's not supposed to show up Yes, yes. And I think that's really beautiful. And at the same time, I notice right now people wanting to reclaim sacredness, that because everything is sacred, they don't know what is sacred. Like, it's, you know, it's like everything is good, but like, what's like really good now? You know, <laughs> yeah. Or I've given myself freedom for everything. But I've heard, you know, people have conversations of, and sex is always the easy one of like, I, I gave myself freedom to do all these things. But to be honest, someone said this to me the other day. I want to put some things back on the mantle. I don't want to sleep around like that. I want to be known. I want to connect. Someone who went through a divorce was telling me a story of, like, sometimes I wonder, did I make the right choice? Of, I didn't, like, love that person or care for that person anymore, and they're kind of, like, mean to me, but I just miss coming home. And it was so powerful to hear them say that right? That there was still something in there. It was like, there was a sacredness that they felt like they left. And my hope for anybody is that you get both, of course, right? You have intimacy and you're known and you have home and it's somebody that you're in love with and you care about and you're, you know, you're building a future together. And I think that's the world that we're coming back to. It's not, hey, here's a limited view of this. And then it's not just like, man, do whatever you want, whenever you want it. Cause that's also like not real, you know, some of it is learning to trust yourself and make sense of some things and make some appropriate decisions um, responsibly. Uh, and that's true of all of life, right? 
uh, I think the difference is no one's putting some arbitrary list on you that you have to now do. Mm -hmm. um, saying, be thoughtful about who you are and who the people are that you interact with. And again, this, this is not limited to sex. I don't ever want people to think that. This is true of all of life. Like you brought it up before of oh, the yeah. environment, you know, um, be conscious about your choices and how we're impacting the world. There are very real repercussions to our choices. Bodies mm -hmm. and a lot of other areas, true to mental health, right? Our choices just impact us. That's the way that it is. Yeah. Do you think that, oh, I totally relate to that sexual story, by the way, but um, just like making things sacred again. That's what I've been deeming sexual integrity in my life. And it does make me want to sleep with so few people. And it also makes me like really be deeply thoughtful when I'm walking out of a bedroom because I used to walk out of a bedroom in shame and be like, all right, Jesus, let's link back up again. And bringing sacredness into the bedroom, which really to me just means presence. And again, you're right. This doesn't have to be limited to sex. It can be like if you're sitting with your bank account in front of you and bringing it to presence instead of projecting fear or pain into the future or past, you you force yourself to sit there and embody. Like C.S. Lewis and Tape Letters brings up this idea and it's stuck with me forever, which is that the one demon is saying to the other, just keep them in the past or the future because those are projections in our mind and God resides in the present. So to me, sacredness is about presence. Mm -hmm. And then also when you're in that presence, you start asking yourself questions. Like if you have an external thought come in, like you're disgusting that you just masturbated to actually be present with it instead of spiraling into a shame circle, stay there and be like, who told me that? What voice was that? Like, if that was an internal, who gave it to me? And you can trace these things back. Your, your errors with money, your errors with friendship, your errors with love, whatever it is. And all of that said, I'm so curious. It sounds like you're saying a, the maybe foundational thing is that people see the God, the Christ-centeredness in themselves, the spirit in themselves. Is that what you would say is kind of like the basic tenant, knowing that I'm asking you for people who are thinking about how to dip themselves back into the sacredness or how to begin tapping into community again with the expectation that maybe just maybe they're going to be okay this time? Yeah. I mean, yes, <laughs> to everything that you said. <laughs> of course, I, I always just start with where I think the scriptures start. This Christian scriptures and Jewish traditions, you're good. You're just mm -hmm. made by an image and you're good. That's the story. And the stories from there on out are not stories of like a fall and all of humanity screwed. They're just stories of us as human beings learning to grow up. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's not that much crazier, right? The salvation story in the Hebrew Bible and Exodus that's what I'm preaching on this Sunday. So I'm giving you like a half sermon right now, but I'll, yeah. I'm going to miss it. So keep going. I'm in my dad's office, by the way, in Jersey for anyone wondering. <laughs> uh, right. God saves us so that God can teach us to save ourselves. Um, that's like the story of, of Exodus and save is not like, cause we're horrible. Save is, oh, there are moments that we are repressed or, or oppressed, or there's things that are bigger than us that we don't know how to deal with. Maybe that's an addiction. That's like such a, like we, we use phrases like you hit rock bottom and you right. the first two steps and 12 steps are just 
admitting to yourself that you need a higher power in some ways. I need something beyond myself. Great. Um, but you don't stop there. And that's like the fatalism of evangelicalism sometimes, that Jesus is like this magic that we sprinkle over ourselves and nothing will go wrong. That's not the story. Mm. Jesus is there to save and liberate us where we can't do things for ourselves. That's That sounds beautiful. I need that. I, I want something beyond myself. I want, let me say it this way. I love this idea of holy being other and other just meaning that this otherness, this divine God, Christ, conscious, whatever you want to call it, Jesus fully sees me when I can't fully see myself. What a good God. And I know that as a parent, when my kid has a tantrum, I'm not like, you're an evil demon, you know, depraved. I'm like, oh my God, you're just need a nap, you know, (laughs) hungry, or maybe you just need a hug. Man, imagine a God who has the capacity to hold that and so much more for every human being just sees the the truest best version of who we are that's what i want people to be reminded of uh richard Rohr says it best jesus didn't come so that god would change god's mind about you god jesus came so that you would change your mind about god Mm -hmm. Uh, there's just this better version of god that has always been there we just were given really bad narratives about it and that's what I want people to know, because I, I believe when you connect with that thing, your just human experience is going to be so much more beautiful um, and spacious and present and sacred and all these words that we're talking about. And that for me is like worth giving my life to. Um, I want I want to see other people hold that and know that because I think it makes the world better. Amen. I couldn't agree more. Everything's so beautifully put. And it's just reminding me that like when you're young, you're so present, you know, from having children, like they are not projecting into the future past. They're just here. And there was so much magic in that. Even when I first moved to LA and all of this world hadn't exploded or hurt me yet, or I wasn't perceiving it yet. Everything just like flowed and was adventurous and fun and free spirited. And I was figuring things out and deconstruction for me was really like a loss of that. It was the morning process to me. Every, all nine steps of the morning process were things that I look and resonate and felt each one of them regarding my Christianity, because spirituality has always been so important to me. I have so many friends in LA of all different faiths and they're always like, why the fuck are you Christian? Or some of them will be like, so this like persona you created, I guess, like, cause you need to talk about Christianity. So you have to tell them you're a Christian. And I'm like, no, I actually crazy enough. I am a Christian <laughs> because there always had been, I always felt that like intuitive, adventurous, like joy filled ride with spirituality before it really got hijacked by any toxic theology. I felt it. And now reconstruction, reconstructing and being a part of the new Abbey, has just been making me feel that adventurous spirit all over again. So I want to genuinely from the bottom of my heart, express so much gratitude for you, Corey, because I just recognized you the moment I met you, I see you. And there has been nothing more beautiful than to just sit and listen to you and know that I am held and 
loved by you and the community just for showing up and wanting to give back to it or just wanting to show up and be there. And I've never, ever found a space like this ever. I found a space that I thought was like this and it broke me to the bottom of my heart. And now that my heart's restored, I feel like it's being truly held in this place. So just thank you so much for creating it. And thank you for intuiting the right thing to do 10 mother effing years ago. Like if I knew that you'd started this two years ago, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Like he rode the wave, not even cynically speaking, but it's like, yeah, a pastor realized the error of his ways and now he's progressive. No, you intuited this long before it was trendy or recognizable or nameable in any sort of way. And you've been creating a space for the queer community, for people of all colors, shapes, sizes, all of it. And all of it is represented in that church. All of it I've seen, and it's gorgeous. So I love you and thank you. Oh, stop it. (laughs) I'm horrible at receiving, but I'll take that. Oh, now you can compliment me. Just kidding. <laughs> and yeah. I really hope that anyone that listened to this conversation too, like any, any pastors who are thinking about it or anyone who like thinks they're meant to be a pastor, like you can start from scratch and there are models out there of a church that doesn't hurt. And Corey, you're a person that's built that and displayed it for 10 years. So can people hit you up if they have questions about starting their own church? Yeah, I, I that's not overwhelming. <laughs> no, info at newabby.org, N E W A B B E Y.org, and it will, it will get to me. Um, yeah. I always want to help people start new communities because uh, I think that they're crucial for just human thriving. So, if like sometimes when I, I hear you say that, and I, and I agree with you again from a bias standpoint, I love our community. I think it's so beautiful. I think really special things are happening there. Um, but I don't want it to be the only thing. And I know it's not the only thing. There's all kinds of beautiful things popping up around the world, right? I think it started with like podcasts and books and like social media really created this space. And like we started before all that, which was wild, right? So wow. I remember when people were like, what the hell is this? <laughs> You're a church, are you not a church? Why would you do that? You know, it was, it was just, we felt like an odd duck until all these other mediums kind of, came present. But I think sometimes when you stay in the world of podcast or books or social media, you do miss the community interaction part. And I think that's where the real growth happens. Um, you got to like work your shit out in real time with other people. Um, you got to like rub against each other, I guess. Take yeah. that one, but. <laughs> <laughs> that's just how you do it. You don't do it on social media chat rooms. You just don't, you know? Um, it's going to be limiting and it's not like intergenerational and all these other really important factors, but I'm going to get into another 45 minutes. <laughs> so where there. can everybody find you and new Abbey? Uh, you can find us on Instagram, new Abbey church. Uh, if you want to see pictures of my kids two to three times a year, probably on their birthdays when I'm going to post, you can follow me. <laughs> I'm a huge influencer, huge influencer. <laughs> really what I'm going for. I know. I'm actually very intimidated right now. 
Yeah. You mean if you follow me or like me, it might increase your following by tens of people. So that's wow, kind of now cool. you're sounding like Paula White. <laughs> Instead of money though, you're trying to get followers. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's everything I'm after. <laughs> that's another subject, man. I, every influencer I know is tired right now. Oh God. I mean, yeah. Don't get me started. I mean, yeah, get me started. That'll be a whole other podcast. Yeah. I love, I love that conversation. I'm like, it's not for me. (laughs) No, it's yeah. It's a little nightmare, but we're all getting through it. I love it. Yeah. And it does give us access to each other and you do, you know, everything is on a polarity of negative and positive. So like internet can be a disaster in its highest form, but it can also then create spaces and create pathways. So you can even find spaces in real life that exist like this. So, you know, um, any closing thoughts, very closing thought. Oh, any closing thoughts? Um, I feel like emotional with the closing thought of, I just, if, if you're a human being who wants to connect with God and faith and spirituality, there's so much hope out there. There's so much opportunity and enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey, know that there's safe places for you. And I hope that you create safe places. Like I, I just really believe it's gonna make the world a better place. And so I'm grateful even for this podcast that you're making these spaces that you're putting more conversations out in the world. But uh, I think it's Brene Brown who said, your healing is dependent upon my healing and my healing upon yours and our healing, the healing of the world. So let's go do that work together. Dang, beautiful. Thank you, Pastor Corey. Oh, thanks, Brenda. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, what, uh, lady, Brenda, what do you want me to call you? Or uh, partitioner? What you say? Yeah, uh, partitioner. That's something different. Yeah. Lady sounds pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Thank you for seeing me. <laughs>